Hello, hello. It's Jacob Hill with GRC Academy. I'm here with Mr. John Watkins. John, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jake? Doing very well. John and I actually go back over 15 years. He was my chaperone at a church event when I was a, a young lad. And so I think this is a good lesson to everybody. Better be nice to people because you never know who you might be talking to in the future. Ah, uh, good point. Good point. Tell us about you. What do you do? Yeah. Hey, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's a real honor. And I appreciate the chance to kind of share a little bit. I'm a cybersecurity guy, of course. Been doing cyber for the last 13 years. So a couple of years after we first met, I started getting into cyber and I'd been doing IT for a long time and actually programming way back when on my Commodore 64 when I was about, to, I'm not going to say how old, but let's just say I was a teenager. And then I started doing websites back in the late 90s because they were hideous. Mm. And as an art major, I was yeah. like, I can't, I can't take this. We, we got to do something about this. So I taught myself right. some HTML. I had had some programming languages, you know, before that with basic and whatnot. So it wasn't too hard to pick up the HTML and then worked at a major website place in Columbus, Ohio. We did uh, ColumbusYellowPages.com, which was a huge website in the nineties, pre-Google, pre-Google and worked there for a while. And then I went into technology sales when I was there is when I kind of pivoted. I was good at sales, but I didn't like it. Um, so uh, went from that to uh, cybersecurity and uh, kind of climbed my way through the ranks. And then to now today, I'm actually an information services manager at an electric cooperative and I uh, do, I do cybersecurity there as well as IT. Got certified with the CISSP about four years ago. And, uh, yeah, just been pretty busy, done a lot of different projects over the years. Uh, I focused mainly on uh, policy management. I do a lot of vulnerability management stuff, a lot of managerial types things, but I've have done some red team stuff. A lot of my focus is on securing ICS and OT assets, which is important these days. And uh, yeah. I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Can <laughs> yeah. you talk about what the differences are between a cooperative and other utility providers out there? Yeah, sure. So when in the utility, well, in an energy space, there's a lot of different utilities. Well, we're talking electric utilities here. There's three different types, right? So you usually have your investor-owned utilities, and then you have your municipalities. So that'd be like the city of, fill in the blank, would be a municipality mm -hmm. or village of or whatever. And then you have your cooperatives. And so the cooperatives are unique in that they've only been around since the late 30s. And actually, the one that I work for is the first cooperative in the country. And we actually set the first pole co-op power. And we have a little plaque from this, from our state, state of Ohio that yeah. says, Hey, wow, this is a historical, you know, thing. The cooperatives were kind of created out of that, um, I guess, urgent need for electricity in the rural area. Right. So it's kind of like broadband okay. is today, if you think of it that way. Yeah. But the investor-owned utilities at those times in the 30s were given some opportunities from very low-cost loans from the Rural Electrification Administration by the Roosevelt administration. And huh. they uh, still determined it was too expensive, right? They, they said, no, we're not, yeah. even with low-cost loans, it's just not, the ROI is not there. So the yeah. electric cooperatives came about because they said, hey, government, will you give us these really low-cost loans if we can figure this out? And they said, yeah. And so it was these farmer cooperatives. They were already in existence. And so they started hiring electrical engineers and folks that knew what they were doing and said, hey, we got this money. Let's get this figured out. And they made a nonprofit utility that is actually owned by the member, just like any other cooperative would be, follows the seven cooperative principles and those kind of things. And so we really focus on reliability and uh, we yeah. provide electricity and kind of the places where the IOUs or the investor-owned utilities would not do it back then. So yeah. that's awesome. a little bit about awesome. electric cooperatives. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. 
Sure. Talk about the security piece of electric cooperative or just a electric utility in general. Sure. What's most important and what are the most important areas of that? Yeah. So that's, that's a really good question. We talked to a lot of different electric cooperatives and not only in Ohio, but across the country as well. What we've found, we don't have a great deal of secrecy in what we do. Confidentiality is important, of course, for any organization. We don't have the 11 herbs and spices of electric you know, distribution, right? Um, even generation or transmission, none of that stuff is super, super secret. It's pretty much standard across every organization, even from IOUs to municipalities to, to co-ops, mm -hmm. right? We don't have like the you know, secret sauce that we're trying to hide from our competition or stuff like that. And even then, investor and utilities, municipalities and cooperatives, they a lot of times do a lot of work together. You know, there's a real big storm or something. A lot of the co-ops will help other co-ops, even help the local IOU if need be. And I'm doing some mutual aid and stuff like that. So confidentiality is not really important. It is. It's always important. It's just not the highest level of importance. The next one I think that's, you know, somewhat important is the integrity of data and systems. I think that's just baseline for pretty much everybody. But really what's important to us is the availability, right? Like we got to have uptime. Yeah, we have a 99.8% uptime on our electric system. So what would that translate to our IT and OT assets, right? And by OT, by the way, I mean operational technology as opposed to information technology. And there's a lot of crossover with that, of course. But yeah, I think that's probably the most important thing to us is the availability factor. Hmm. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I uh, understand mm -hmm. that with your organization, there may not be secret sauce, as you said, but no doubt there's important data. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the customer data, member data is very important to protect, right? Mm -hmm. PII, those kind of things. The billing data is always important you know, as well. The, the amount of data that we've collected for the time that we've collected it. And this is not just true for you know us specifically, mm -hmm. uh, but for a lot of other organizations as well, allows us to do some estimating. Mm -hmm. Most of the members' usage has been so well tracked um, that it's mm -hmm. pretty relatively simple and straightforward to say, well... Unless we're way off the mark here, you're, you're probably going to be right around here, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Can you talk about the difference between IT and OT and how you protect those uh, specifically? Yeah, that, that's a great question, right? So there, there's a major difference. IT is very standard, very traditional, very what most cybersecurity folks are used to. But you have your basic systems, right? You have your identity and you have different governance and the nice thing about IT systems is it's pretty easy to test them and audit them and check them out and have them pen tested. And they're, they're relatively robust and they're relatively resilient to testing and those kind of things. Uh, one of the biggest differences between IT and OT is the fact that operational systems tend to be a little more fragile, right? So testing mm -hmm. them is a little different. Uh, you want to employ a lot of different passive methods more than active methods, for example. So with OT, you just tend to be a little more careful. Also with OT stuff, we do a lot of talking about what the risks are and how we can kind of mitigate those risks. There's different levels of tabletop exercises, as you well know, that you can do. There's some really nice games out there that work really well. Backdoors and Breaches by Black Hills Information Security is a good one. Give a shout out to those folks. So they have a fantastic card game. But these paper-based exercises are what we tend to do on the OT to really get an understanding. Because to really fully test something when reliability is such an important factor, it's very difficult to have the flexibility Right. If you knock a system over an IT, you got high availability, you've got backups, you got VMware, you, all these different schemes, right? To protect that. Um, in the field, you may not have that on OT devices, right? To do a passive test, that's good. To do an active test, yeah, you're probably going to ask for some situations or some trouble, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. Can you give us an example of an OT device 
Yeah. So there's a variety of different kinds of devices. And when you're talking OT, you're usually talking AMI, which is automated metering infrastructure or SCADA, mm -hmm. which stands for supervisory control and data acquisition. With the AMI, you're bringing back, you know, meter readings and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And the SCADA side of things, what you're bringing back uh, is data that's it's going to be related to the different analog points on a given device, like a measurement of voltage, for example, or measurement mm -hmm. of temperature, for example. That's the data acquisition part. The other part of it is supervisory control. One example of an OT device would be a switch out in the field. Now, I don't mean like a Cisco switch. I mean, a literal like electric switch that would connect or disconnect electric service. If we had SCADA in play, we could actually connect to that device, know if it's open or closed, and then open or close it on demand, saving, for example, a truck having to roll out there and do that manually. How can SCADA devices be used to enhance reliability? Okay, so yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. So say, for example, there was a cold snap and it's like a polar vortex like we had a few years ago and it's super, super mm -hmm. cold. And then a device at a substation goes completely out. Okay. Well, that's going to take off, let's say 1500 folks from having power. So instead of having a 12 hour outage for those people, by the way, we're in negative 20 degree weather here and it's yeah. the middle of the night. Instead of having 12 hours without power, if we have SCADA, what we can do is say, Oh, let's go ahead and backfeed that station from another station and get these folks back up into power. And in maybe like 45 minutes to an hour, right? Mm -hmm. So it really minimizes that downtime on the electric reliability side. And then meanwhile, still a 12 hour change out for that regulator device. Okay. But, you know, your service territory never loses any power except for just a 45 minute or an hour window versus 12 hour outage, right? So that's how SCADA can be used to bring in power from another substation to allow then yeah. those folks to stay on. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. And I'm all for that. What are the risks that electric utilities have to be concerned with? I think like anybody, we've got the, the normal risks, right, that are out there. But I think utilities specifically really need to focus on practicing their preparedness plans, making sure they know how to get to their incident response plans or, or know what their incident response plans are in the event of a situation or a breach. Also to know really what the difference between an event and an incident is. Can you talk about a notable cyber incident in the OT space? Yeah, sure. Two come to mind. Colonial Pipeline, I think that's a pretty notable incident. That one in particular was interesting because it really didn't attack the OT side. They attacked the mm -hmm. IT side and the billing network was actually unavailable, but that impacted the OT side because the way that the billing were, that's how they actually structured the flow of the material in the pipeline, right? So since the billing system mm -hmm. was down, then they end up having to shut the pipeline down, which ultimately impacted a lot of other areas. Another one that would be worth mentioning would be the Ukraine distribution attack. So there was an actor probably an adversary of Ukraine, if you will, that attacked the Ukraine energy companies that were doing a distribution of electric power. And this would have been in 2015. They actually interacted with the system in real time and shut off power to about 280,000 folks at the distribution level. The good news is that that utility was able to get back on their feet within about eight hours manually doing everything. So there's a couple of takeaways. One, your IT systems definitely do impact your OT systems, even if you're not talking about the OT devices themselves. That's kind of the takeaway from the pipeline attack. And then secondly, your OT systems, clearly you need to protect them in a way that would keep adversaries from getting in and doing control of those, of those systems. Now, 
Interestingly enough, both of those attacks would have been stopped by multi-factor authentication, for example. So multi-factor authentication is so big on the VPNs, on so many other things. Also an IDR, right? Any kind of incident detection and response would have picked up on the privilege escalation as well. So that, that kill chain, that MITRE yeah. attack framework, utilizing that to kind of pick up on what's going on is going to help. Yeah. And definitely not going to stop a determined attacker. We know that. Uh, but at least you can kind of pick up on what's going on and respond to some of these incidents. Excellent. You mentioned an assessment program earlier. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. One of the programs that's going on in Ohio that I had the benefit of being a integral part of getting going is a program called Recap. We're privileged to be involved with a program like this, but I structured this based on another program that exists already. So there's a program called RESAP, R-E-S-A-P, in the cooperative space. It's been around since 1967, and it's the Rural Electric Safety Achievement Program. And it's been very successful and, you know, obviously in the, in the electric space, you know, safety is a big deal. So the RESAP program was put in place as a peer review. And basically what happens is other cooperatives come into your cooperative and say, Hey, you know, are you doing the things that are keeping your folks safe? And are you following these best practices and so forth? So I don't know, six or seven years ago, I came up with this idea. I was like, you know, that's really a good idea for cyber as well. And some other folks yeah. had the same idea about the same time. And with a little bit of momentum and, and the right timing, eventually, I think around 2019, we we're able to start, you know, getting this in play. Thus far, I think I've done to date 13 of these recap assessments mm. um, and helped to some of the other states, uh, Pennsylvania, Illinois, in April, I'll be going to Kentucky to talk to them about their recap program as well. I want to give a lot of appreciation and gratitude to the folks in Ohio that have agreed that this recap program is something we need to really focus on. And that's the Rural Electric Cyber Advancement Program. And what we do is we go around and we spend a day and talk to leadership and IT teams. And we say, hey, you know, how are you doing on these things? And we use a framework-based approach, the NIST CSF framework, okay. cybersecurity framework that we use to go through those five pillars and see where everybody's at, give them a raw score, give them some work items to work on in the work plan, if you will, in the next 12 months to figure out what the best way to go is with their program. So it's been a really successful yeah. and a really good program so far. Oh, that's fantastic. Has all the states jumped into that or is it just a select few right now or how's that? There are some other states as well that I'm not involved with, South Carolina, for example, and also Iowa, I believe. And I think there are a couple other states that are interested in doing this. You know, my goal would be eventually that it would be a nationwide program like Resap. Yeah. At this time, it's just kind of locally. And that's kind of how these things kind of start sometimes, kind of grassroots efforts. But, you know, the goal here is just to make everybody more secure. You can't prevent every attack, of course. But if yeah. we can raise the bar on awareness, I think that's always a good thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? Really wanted to say thanks for having me on. And it's a real privilege and an honor to be considered for something like this. I appreciate it. We're all in this together. None of us are as smart as uh, all of us, I like to say. So the more that we have these kind of things, you know, awareness, get the awareness out there. I think it's uh, super helpful. So thank you again for having me on. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. 